0: Pardon me, is everybody there? Because if everybody's there, I'd like to thank you all for coming to the wedding. And I appreciate you going even more. I mean, you must have liked the better things to do. Not a word of it to Paul. Remember, Paul, you know the man I'm going to marry, but I'm not because I wouldn't wrote anyone as wonderful as he is. Thank you all for the gifts and the flowers. Thank you all. Now it's back to the showers. Don't tell Paul but I'm not getting married today. Listen, everybody, look, I don't know what you're waiting for. A wedding, what's a wedding? It's a historic ritual where everybody promises fidelity forever which is maybe the most horrifying word I've ever heard which is followed by a honeymoon will suddenly you'll realize he's saddled with a nut and want to kill me which he just thanks a bunch but I'm not getting married go have lunch because I'm not getting married you've been grand but I'm not getting married don't just stand there I'm not getting married and don't tell Paul that I'm not getting married today go catch you go why is nobody listening goodbye go and cry at another Wake. If you're quick for a kick, you could pick up a christening. But please, on my knees, there's a human life at stake. Listen, everybody, I'm afraid you didn't hear if you want to see a crazy lady fall apart in front of you? It isn't only Paul it may be ruining his life. You know, we'll both of us be losing our identities. I telephoned my analyst about it, and he said to see him money. But my money, I'll be floating in the Hudson with the other garbage, I'm not well, so I'm not getting married. You've been swelled but I'm not getting married. Clear the hall, because I'm not getting married. And thank you all, but I'm not getting married. And don't tell Paul, but I'm not getting married today. Bless this pride totally insane, slipping down the drain, and bless this day in our be coming down with hepatitis, and I think I'm gonna faint. So if you want to see me faint, I'll do it happily But wouldn't it be funnier to go and watch a funeral? Thank you for the 27 dinner place the 37 butter knives, the 47 razor blades, and the 57 candles. One more thing. I'm not getting married. softly said. I'm not getting married. With this ring. I'm not getting married. TV I'm not getting married. Let us pray. I'm not getting married. Let us pray. I'm not getting married.
1: And here she is, Nancy.
2: Yes, on this beautiful day. Is it nice there?
1: Uh, finally, you and I have gotten together to do this. How long have I, we been trying to do this?
2: I don't know, but I, I, I applaud you. You've been so patient and persistent. And thank <laughs> gosh, it finally happened.
1: Uh, well, I am thrilled that you're here tonight. We are going to cover all points from Pensacola to Virginia to Oxnard. To uh, Yeah, Oxnard. Uh, yes, I fondly I call you. it
2: the Channel Island Beach. That sort of is my address, but Oxnard is, it's a weird name, isn't it? But it's beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful where I am. I'm I on the water. I have to tell
1: you, I thought, uh, do you, did you know Ray Jessel? Yes, I met him. Yes. Yes. Well, Ray Jessel wrote a, a great song called Oxnard. And the first time that I drove through Oxnard, I said, it's a real place. It's a real place. <laughs> <laughs> and there you are. You live there. First of and all. Yes, and yes, and
2: Johnny Johnny Carson used to always say, for God's sake, don't step in the Oxnard. And uh, <laughs> and when I was doing uh, Too Close for Comfort with Ted Knight, he one day announced that I own property in Oxnard. And we all thought that was the funniest thing. Unfortunately, none of us came up here to see it. Uh, you know, my husband played golf for 30 years up here, but he never drove west. He never knew... About the beaches
1: and the, I mean, it's beautiful where I am. You're just There. How did you end up in Oxnard?
2: Well, uh, two things. <laughs> my mm-hmm. husband, my drawing Val wanted to get out of LA. He'd really had it with LA. So we made arrangements to sell our place, and then I, mm-hmm. I couldn't, I couldn't find a place. We were going to rent for a while. I couldn't find anything, and so I started looking like everyone does, a little farther. And a couple of things popped up that I went, oh, God, that's a nice house, blah, blah, blah. And we came up here to look, and we stayed. It's hard for me a little bit. I miss, I miss being the, so close to my friends. So we meet halfway, <laughs> uh, or I drive in. But uh, that's getting less and less, you know? <laughs> and when we were in New York recently, Val and I went for a mini trip just to see all our friends, and at one point, after a show, we were crossing through the Broadway area, which, of course, as you know, is a madhouse. And he said, oh, my God, I can't live like this. I can't live like this. You know, I gave him a shot and I said, we don't.
1: <laughs> we well, don't. Let me ask you. I mean, it's funny because, you know, Patti Lapone just famously said that she was giving up her equity card. And I know her reason for giving it all up, she said the, the madhouse of what... That area of New York has turned into, and for those who don't live in the New York City area, um, it's become like a shopping mall. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's a culmination, in my opinion, of everything wrong with this country, and it's all in a melting pot right there in the center of Times Square. Coming back to New York and having spent so many years doing theater here, what is that experience like? Coming back and looking at what has changed, uh, not only in the geographic area, but yeah. also in the business itself.
2: I, uh, you know, I've been thinking about it a lot cause I'm going through my memorabilia, which I'm donating to my college. Um, I never wanted to leave New York. I was so happy there. I had become successful very early on and, uh, You know, I loved where I lived. And then it came to the point where my manager said, I can't even, I can't get you a job anymore, even in summer stock, because you're not on television. So he kept saying, you 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 know, you got to do television. And I really Mm -hmm. had, I mean, I had done some. I'd done the variety shows and game shows, you know, those kinds of things. But I, I just, I didn't, that wasn't, in my future for me, but I came out uh, and I'd come out a few times before, done some interviews and then just gone right back to New York. Uh, But then I came out this one time and within a week I got a series. So, you know, I took it (laughs) and uh, you know, it made a big difference in my life, but I always thought we'd probably move back to New York, but we didn't. My husband got busy directing television and uh, you know, here we are, and we went back a lot because I had an apartment there, um, but then they kicked us out of my apartment because we weren't there long enough every year. I, uh, the lawyers took me to court
1: for two, three years. That's always fun. I've that really it, pissed it, me it, off. I so, thought there should be uh, a law
2: against this. Uh,
1: but I want to go back. I want to start, you know, you uh, were born in Pensacola. Uh, your father was in the Navy. My father was too. So, oh, yes. Yes, my father was in the Navy. And I'm a skipper, so there's all that's connection there. So <laughs> oh, but, um, from what I understand, uh, the bug... Uh, for lack of a better term, did not really bite you until you joined a choir years later when you were in high school, and that was in Virginia. What changed? Uh,
2: you know, I, and I wasn't even aware of this. I mean, I had no ambitions, whatever, to be on stage The movies. Movies were, of course, where I totally lose myself, and I loved it. Because uh, when my dad was at sea, you'll appreciate this, when he went to sea... And he was gone for years at a time sometime. We would go live with my grandmother, my mother and my sister. And I would go live with my grandmother in Mount Carmel, Illinois. So my grandmother took me to all the musical movies. She, her favorite was Betty but I saw them. And my uncle took me to all the cowboy movies. <laughs> and my mother took, you know, so I was lost in that world. But no thoughts or ambitions about anything. But I was told much later that I sang all the time and I used my aunt who was a music teacher said you made up songs all the time uh so when I got in high school uh I went to a big high school Washington Lee High School in Alexandria and they were renowned for their choir so I kind of arbitrarily because I wanted to get out of typing class went and auditioned and I got in and uh it did. It changed my life. The woman, the choir teacher changed my life. I got out of typing class and we, this choir toured. So it was quite a thing. And then she kept putting me in smaller groups and doing everything. And then maybe, you know, this one day she said, I'd like to come talk to your family. So she took me home
1: mm-hmm.
2: and set everybody down and said, do you know Nancy Sings? And she really sings. And if you can afford it, I'd like to recommend a singing teacher and blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, my parents were stunned.
1: <laughs> stunned they and awesome. As good business oh, as any family could possibly be.
2: Yeah, they, it freaked my dad out, frankly. But they did find a teacher. I was studying ballet in, in, the, in Washington, and they found a singing teacher. And then I started singing with a band. And I started doing a local television show. And I was in love with Jane Froman at that time.
1: Wow, yes. So my,
2: my big song was, I believe for... I mean, but my parents wouldn't let me continue because I had to join the union. And that is too bad because, you know, I had to pick my own songs and do, you know, do that kind of okay. thing. So I'm sorry they didn't let me continue. Meanwhile, back to the choir teacher... Florence Booker, she said, where do you, where do you, are you going to go to college and you're going to study music? And I went, well, I'm, I got accepted by Duke University. She went, oh, no, no. And this was like in March before September school. She said, no, I'm calling Northwestern where I went. And she literally picked up the phone and called the music school and said, take her. And And they did. And they did. I didn't have to audition. I didn't have to take a test. I didn't have to write a letter because, you know, now because I've taught a lot of young people uh, what they have to go through to get in school is madness, just with all the things they have to write and prepare and musically prepare. So
1: was it at Northwestern that you started to act as well?
2: Yes. Yeah. I, uh, I was very happy in the music school doing, and I had a fantastic teacher who entered me in every contest in Chicago So I won a contest. I sang Carmen excerpts with the Chicago Symphony. Oh God, I wish there was a tape of that. I weighed about 95 pounds. I played the castanets. I I mean, I did the whole bit. Well, Uh, well,
1: something else happened while you were there. You ended up in Life Magazine. I did, Miss (laughs) Student Body. Uh, Miss Student Body. How did that come about? Well, they do a huge,
2: huge musical show every year called the WAMU Show. And uh, I got in every year. I mean, it was a, it was a really big deal. I was dating my fir- first husband at the time. And he said, I'd like to come. I said, I can't get you a ticket. But I fin- I finally did. But anyway, that was one of the numbers. Warren Beatty was in the number. I had dated him in high school. That was the other thing about high school. <laughs> oh, God, that was a good time. Uh, but uh, yeah, and then Life Magazine came in. I, we almost were all going to be on the cover, but something else interrupted that. But that was a really big deal to well, be in Life Magazine. Good
1: God. I searched and I searched and I searched for that Life Magazine. And I couldn't find it. Uh, but I did. I have it. It. <laughs> uh, What was that? I have this. <laughs> I'm sure you do. But I, I. But you, not too long after that, look at you. You appeared in Life Magazine yet again. Yes. This I was able to find because I actually have this one. Yeah. Yes.
2: That also was a really big deal. That was at the upstairs of the downstairs, the downstairs fights back or what downstairs, whatever it was called
1: Uh, downstairs.
2: That was really life changing. I, I auditioned for Julius Monk. Do you know anything about Julius Monk? I do of course. Yeah. I don't know who dragged me in there.
1: One of my dearest, dearest friends.
2: Uh, Oh, Yes. But anyway, I sang for him in the kitchen. He just dragged me into the kitchen. He said, well, let me hear you. I knew he was putting together a new review. I think it was because of my pianist who had worked there. Um, So I don't know what I sang for him in the kitchen. And then I filled in for about a week before the review actually started. I was talking about it the other day with someone. I don't have a clue what I sang. I don't know what I would have put together. But that uh, and I was really jealous of everyone else in the show, because I thought they were so talented. George Firth was in it. Uh, A woman named Jenny Lulop, who was Julius' favorite at the time, and I was very envious of her. And so I was actually embarrassed when the reviews came out, because they were so fantastic. And then I got in Life Magazine. Uh, Julius was very happy. So when I asked to get out to do the Fantastics, he said no. So... I had to turn down the Fantastics.
1: Well, uh, now that you mention the Fantastics, Tom Jones is going to be on the show on Sunday afternoon. So, uh, everyone who's watching, uh, please tune in Sunday afternoon to join Tom Jones and myself.
2: Yeah, uh, he won't remember that. He won't, you know, they because they kept calling and asking, and are you available? We really think we want you, and blah blah. And, you know, I finally had to say no, but I called them. I called the office like three times to tell them about anybody I knew about because. You know, at that point in New York, you auditioned for a a new show actually in the theater on a stage. That's right. Oh, my God. And so I kind of knew who was good. So I called. I said, the only one I can recommend is Rita Gardner. I said, she's always better than everybody else.
1: Always. Wonderful.
2: I told her that once. I said, I don't think that got you the job. I think by that time, they probably probably knew that, but. uh.
1: Well, Nancy, let me ask you, when you were at Northwestern and you are, there's one thing to be in the throes of everything. It's a whole different ball of wax when you say, I'm gonna really pursue this as a career. What was the defining moment for you where you decided that you wanted to uh, pursue this as a career? And I always say there are two, there's a fork in every artist's life uh, whether it's the East Coast or the West Coast. Obviously, if you want to do live theater and performance, that leads to New York. Yeah. Um, how did that all be- happen for you?
2: Well, my best friend at the time, uh, uh, a singer at Northwestern who was fantastic, her name at the that time was Henrietta Embick, it later was Henrietta Valor. I don't know if you ever heard her name sing crazy great. She, after the freshman year, did Summer stock and came back talking about it. And it kind of proved to be a negative for her because she was one of those people who sang from the time she was two years old. And everyone, she just knew she was going to have a career. But I think she was stunned when she saw all those other talented people. And I went, well, golly, if she can do that, you know, maybe I can. So I auditioned and got in. The whole chorus almost at that time was from Northwestern. Most of the singers were from North. Ron Husman was in the chorus. Uh, you know, and we, we started uh, South Pacific was the first show. We did seven shows a season. And uh, I, we did, uh, I'm trying to remember the musical, Cole Porter. And Bill Hayes was the star. And Out of This World, that was the show. And I had my first part. <laughs> my first part. And it was opposite Bill. And I was so excited. And then we did some, and Bill at that time was from Chicago. So we started doing tele, uh, radio shows and everything. And one of the interviewers asked him, he, he said, you know, Nancy now says she wants to go to New York. Cause that kind of was the turning point. And, when, and it was that cliche. I can do this. I can do this. And that was huge. Cause I'd never, like I said, I'd really never thought about it. I took this job kind of as a lark and, so Bill said, oh, I think she'll do very well. I, he said, I think within five years she'll... And I went, five years? Good God. <laughs> <You>
1: know, that, <laughs> that seems that like a lifetime like, at that, that time. That seemed
2: like a lifetime to me. Uh, I still talk to him. I just talked to him the other day,
1: Bill Hayes. Oh, cinema him our love. I mean, he was I so
2: great and helpful to me and Ron and everybody. I mean, he was, he, he was terrific. So that was the real crowning moment when I thought, oh, my gosh, I really... I really want to do that. So I started always doing summer stock and I was underage. I was uh, 16, 17. So the stage manager, my nickname was JB, Jailbait, because he was always pulling me off some guy's lap or, you know, if we had parties, he was (laughs) always dragging me out of the room. You have to go home now, kid. Uh, Because I was really, really naive. Uh, So I didn't even wait for the graduation ceremony. I went right onto my... Next job, I had a job at the Cohasset Summer Theater. And we were doing Can-Can, and I had a little part.
1: Was that that the show, or was it out of this world that you got your equity card?
2: I I immediately got my equity card just joining that company. That's how easy it was. Mm -hmm. I got a professional job, you know, so I got it. I don't know what all, it takes a lot more now. You
1: came to New York essentially with your equity card already in.
2: Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. So off I went to Cohasset where I don't know how long into the rehearsal uh, and it was a theater in the round and tearing down that aisle the girl in front of me tripped and I she tripped and kind of fell off to the right but I fell. And everyone fell on me. And uh, I, I really hurt myself, but I didn't, I didn't know it at the time. And I got up. and I mean, we're doing can-can, for heaven's sake. And it finally got so painful, and I couldn't sit down. I couldn't do anything. So uh, the man I was dating drove up to see me, and he had to rent a uh, station wagon because I couldn't sit. He laid me down, took me to a specialist, and I'll never forget it. He did a, two little tests on me, and he said, oh, my darling, you have to go home. You have to go home. You've cracked your spine. You've got discs. Oh! You've got discs out of whack. Uh, so they built, they had to, they, the theater built a special wooden seat that would fit in the plane seat that would keep me kind of in the right <laughs> you know, place. And home I went sobbing. I mean, you know, I was 19. I thought I was so charged up because after that summer, boy, I was, you know, going into New York and uh, thank God that was a period where they didn't do much about backs at that point. My dad took me to a specialist at home, a Navy, the Naval Hospital, and he said, you're so young. We don't we don't we want to leave you alone. If you have a place like with your folks, he said, just go lie down. So they dragged a mattress. They put it on the floor in front of the TV in the living room. And I was there for about 10 months.
1: Wow. On wow. the floor.
2: And I have to ask
1: you, how, you know, it, it was interesting. In 1983, and I had been in New York for, I came to New York in 79. But in 1983, while I was doing summer stock, I ate a tainted shrimp. And oh. I got, and I got uh, deathly ill from it. I almost died. And uh, oh I went back to South Carolina to recuperate, where I'm from. And it took me uh, almost nine months to recuperate. And wow! And then uh, when I was well enough uh, to, co- I, I ended up auditioning for a show there. I did the show, and the day after the show closed, I was back in on my way to New York City. Uh, because i missed it so much i wanted to be back um how long did it take you to get to new york well i i got up slowly that's for agent calling by the way yeah.
2: oh he never calls <laughs> <laughs> he's oh, calling oh, another story um i started doing therapy swimming and they put me in this hideous brace and I asked the doctor. I said, "Are you putting, you know, doing this because I really have to be that still, and then he, or because I move too fast?" He said, "You move too fast." So I wore a brace for a little bit. I went back to Northwestern for about a month and worked with my singing teacher. And then arrived in New York in the middle of winter. I'm just a terrible day. <laughs> and moved in with two friends from school. The three of us in a studio apartment. I paid thirty-five dollars a month. Uh, and I was so happy. And I i actually started working quite quickly. I took a uh, opera workshop class with the former conductor of the Chicago Symphony. Uh, and then I, m- my roommate was a model at that time in New York. Uh, so she dragged me to her office one day with her. And I was reading the showbiz papers <laughs> sitting in the outer room. And she said, come meet my agents. And so I went in, and uh, they were really darling. And they said, what you doing these days? I said, nothing, but I just found out about an audition. I said, I don't have an agent. And he said, give it to me. I'll call. So they called and got me an audition for the boyfriend that had just opened off-Broadway.
1: Wow. Gus wow. Shermer.
2: Did you ever know Gus Shermer? Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh So they yeah. called. I got it's an audition, easy. and I sang... Uh, it's Never Too Late, yeah. It's Never Too Late to Fall In Love, that one. I did it slow as a ballad, and then I did it as fast as you can imagine, dancing at the same time, and got the job. So I I went on tour with it. And that was, and I'd already done a few little weird jobs off Broadway, not, none of which were any good. But uh, that that was really fun. When I got back, I got married right away, and then, because of Gus Shermer, I got another off-Broadway job called Diversions for 5 Plus 1. And again, just got crazy, I got crazy good reviews. And from that I got an agent and got, you know, then it then it really started. So that was fun. Steve Venever wrote the review. Carl Davis and Stephen Venever. Do you remember Stephen's name? I- he wrote the, the Mad Show.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But Nancy, you know, we joke about uh, agents and managers. Uh, Did you begin putting a team together for yourself or was it just... uh Should
2: have. (laughs) (laughs) When I look back, I thought, man, I didn't know how to do anything. I had a very top... Oh, gosh, my thing just went cockeyed. I'll probably be cockeyed the rest of the time. Um, I had a manager, business manager, and an agent. But... You know, I and after I got Do Re Mi, I mean, right away I was on the Ed Sullivan show and all these shows, but it never occurred to me to God, God, I need to find a pianist and work on stuff all the time so that I'm ready for, you know.
1: Well, I want to go back for a moment. I think, if I'm not mistaken, your Broadway debut was stepping into the sound of music. No, Do Re Mi. No, Do Re Mi. And then sound of music came later.
2: Yeah, that was the second. That was my second one. Yeah.
1: So, what I mean. At that time, also, we had shows like the Ed Sullivan Show, and uh, I'm building up for a setup. Uh, so, we had, <laughs> like the Ed Sullivan Show and everything. What was that experience like to go on that show, which was live when it was done? And to did you feel as if you were being shot out of a cannon?
2: Oh yeah, you know, I like- uh, Tammy Grimes was supposed to have done it. I think it was New Year's, New Year's Eve, or New Year's Day, or something. And we had just opened. Mid December, you know. Uh, So they they got me, and Julie Stein was playing the piano. I had no clothes. They bought me clothes. The Ed Sullivan Show. (laughs) They bought me a beautiful outfit just to stand there as they introduced me. Uh, They had to take in everything like crazy, and I still have the dress that I sang "Make Someone Happy," and I still have it. And I look at it; it's so teeny tiny. And Julie at the piano. And it was just madness backstage. Uh, I mean, of course, they couldn't cut my number or do any mess with it. Like they were always saying, cut out eight bars. Or, you know, comics were always having to cut out material. Uh, the stage managers were both crazy nervous. I mean, i would never been involved with anything that, that kind of, it was hysterical a little bit.
1: How did your heart change? You know, was it like an overnight change? Did you feel in your own uh, self? Uh, I mean, does that build your confidence that you got through something like that? How did your life change?
2: You know, it didn't change a whole lot, really. uh, Because I think I was stunned most of the time. Or, you know, because of Phil Silvers and everybody in the show and Nancy Walker. I mean, Phil knew everybody. It was always Leonard Bernstein was coming around and hi, Nancy. And uh, was that Lena Horne you were playing before uh, I well, got on? The-
1: it was before.
2: I'm going digressing now. Betty Comden always had a New Year's Day party. So I got invited to that. Uh, and my husband came and I think his parents were with us and Lena Horne was there. Wow. She she was so beautiful that none of us could talk. I mean, we. she was all in white. She had a beautiful white dress on. And she was sitting across the room talking to Henry Fonda. I mean, this I could, This was magic to me, all this. She came over, got an ottoman and swirled it around and sat and faced me and said, oh, honey, you're just the best. You are the cutest thing. You are just great. I mean, and we could, not I'm sure my husband and I both were just, we couldn't talk. I don't think I said anything. All those years go by, and I go to see her do her one woman show, and I don't remember the year that was. Uh, do you remember where the big, big show she did in New York?
1: Uh, show? She did uh, The Lady and Her Music. That was 1984, I think it was. Well, my husband took oh, me for my birthday. I was taken
2: for my birthday. Just of, and it was interesting because I someone else had taken me years before to see her in a club, and she was, of course, wonderful and gorgeous, but not very talkative or overly warm, you know, to the audience. Mm-hmm. So here she is. I mean, the dress is loose and flowing, and I mean, she's really in her element. At one point, she said, And today is my birthday, and I stood up in the audience and said, Me too. <laughs> <laughs> and my husband, sit down. Uh, oh,
1: good for you! I, sit
2: down. I, you know, it was so. I was so flattered, I and mean, you know, I thought, oh my god, I'm in such good company, Lena Horn. So, yeah, she was something. Now, getting back to your initial queries about did it change my life? Uh, not really. It, it, I was thrilled with it and knew that, that it was kind of exceptional. But I really was very busy doing this show and they they sent me out. I was the one with David Burns. We did all the publicity. We were the ones that went to every luncheon, every, everything. And I quite enjoyed that. And the other fun thing for me was the dresser. Uh, Nancy Walker's dresser was also a dressmaker. So she made all my clothes for all these. occasions, yes. <laughs> uh, And I knew this was not normal. I mean, a normal life, you know, but I was so taken with the show and having such a good time. And I won, I, I'm trying to remember what which award was it was, if it was a Theater World Award or a Q Magazine Award, something, but Richard Burton gave us the group the award. So, and he was cro- across the street, right across the street from us in Camelot, of course, so when the ceremony was over, he came up to me, and he was one of those like Warren Beatty. They stand this close to you, and talk to you, and you are the only person you in got the to world. look
1: into those gorgeous blue eyes.
2: Oh, uh, like always. Uh, and he, oh my darling, you were my wife. He said my wife. He mentioned his wife. Saw you in the show, and you were so absolutely delicious, and blah blah blah. And he said, can I take you? May I take you to dinner before the show?" And I pointed off to the right and I said, can he come? And he said, who? And I said, my husband. And he started laughing. He just started laughing and he said, yes. Oh my dear, yes, he can come. So it ended up, there were probably six, seven of us all went to dinner and he regaled us the whole time with stories. Walked me back to my stage door, holding my hand, gave me a big kiss, said goodbye, see ya. And I never saw him again, but I talk about floating. Floating into the theater, Richard Burton, just kiss me, because everybody was so smitten with him. Oh my God, including myself. So I mean, yeah, I guess my life, of course, did change. Uh, well, when did I? I didn't That's feel like funny. I was special. I didn't feel special or anything like that. You know, I I went on with my life and working hard. But the one thing, this shows how naive I am. I didn't want to go on tour and, you know, David Merrick went, uh, see this contract? And then they asked me to go to London to do the show. And I never mentioned it to my husband. I just said, oh, I can't, I'm married. Time goes by, I mentioned it to my husband and he just, he said, of course we could have gone. He
1: worked for an international company.
2: Of course we could have gone. And that I regret.
1: I'm really sorry. Well, you know, it's funny when you uh, you said earlier, you know, if I knew then what I know now, and that's, you know, that's the age old thing, you know, uh, George Bernard Shaw said, uh, youth is wasted on the young, uh, you know, if, if the things that we learn as we go through life, uh, and we've all had those moments where you don't want to rock the boat, obviously, so you don't say anything to your husband. Um, And there are all these, I I look at them as forks in the road, or I call them, um, uh, it's a wonderful life moments. What if I had made this choice instead of this choice? Was there a particular point in your career when people started saying, uh, see if you can get us Nancy Dussault, uh, or also a Nancy Dussault type? (laughs)
2: I don't, I don't know, uh, not to my knowledge. Not, I mean, no, I never was aware of that if that ever was going on. Uh, it's, it's interesting. I, I uh, the only time, you know, I, this is totally different from what you just asked. <laughs> okay. I was just thinking. Uh, you know, I did that. I did Sound of Music, and that was great. I had a ball doing that because uh, it was such a repeat audience. I mean, people came all the time. And, I had, and, I, and it turned out to be such a blessing for, like, the rest of my life because I still meet people who say, I saw you in Sound of Music and blah, blah, blah. My mother took me when I was six or eight or whatever. I thought I'd, be in a, I'd love to be in another show that appeals to families and kids, because they they never forget you. Mm-hmm. They just never forget that experience. What well, what was the first show you
1: saw? The first show that I saw on Broadway? No, just it's a musical. What was
2: the first show you ever saw?
1: Well, it wasn't, I mean, the first show that I saw uh, when I was a kid, um, Treasure Island. Uh, a, a touring company came through my hometown, and I went to see it. I also went, believe it or not, with my parents to see Minnie Pearl, Oh, I loved her. I saw (laughs) her. And the moment she came out, I, you know, I said, I want to do that because everyone was laughing at everything she said. That was it for me. I knew that, but I grew up on 1960s and 70s television and variety shows and everything. That that was the world that I wanted to be a part of. Um and you did a lot of variety shows. Uh were these things that you pursued or did they pursue you? They pursued me, yeah. Because
2: I, uh, 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 you know, doing the telephone hour and all those kind of shows was was fantastic. And I I think it's so sad today. they you know what? these younger people don't have a chance to do all these wonderful shows. You know, uh, Gary Moore and Carol Burnett and, and uh, God, there were but what made me laugh when I finally got to do Too Close for Comfort, and I did some specials with Dinah Shore and Burt Reynolds and specials, and I remember crying in the kitchen one night. I go, I finally am on a hit show on television, and there are no more variety shows.
1: I know. I know <laughs> that era.
2: That era had had passed, and uh,
1: that now, oh, you, but, know. you know, when I
2: talked to you about what your first show was, I I remember that my first experience going to the theater. We were living in Coronado. My dad was at the air station there. Mm -hmm. And uh, my mother was taking me to a matinee in San Diego of the Desert Song. And again, when the orchestra started, everything started, I stood up and started walking down the aisle. (laughs) You know, my mother put me down in my seat. I mean, that just, it, it was magical. Like your experience. All these years go by, I'm getting ready to work at the Sacramento Music Theater. Mm. Uh, a man picks me up at the airport, and I'm in a really bad mood. And I, I'm, I thankfully don't even remember why. But I really wasn't very talkative, and I was staring out the window as he, he was driving me into my hotel. And we, we started talking about some shows, and he asked me, what was the first show you ever saw? And I said, the desert song. He said, oh, yes, I produced it. Well, from then on, we, we were close friends. <laughs> I thought, isn't this great? Which is, of course, as we all know, one of the wonderful things about this business. Uh, the people that you encounter and hopefully recounter again. And, you know, that that circle of people. I always wish I'd <laughs> stayed in touch or was much better about staying in touch with a lot of the people I worked with over the years. I just always assumed I would see them again or work with them again. And, of course, that doesn't always
1: happened. Well, okay. I want to ask you, I mean, you, you've been asked over and over and over again about Too Close for Comfort, but I want to talk about something else, and I want to talk Good. about <laughs> this young gentleman that you're pictured with here, David yep. Hartman. And?
2: I and should... have,
1: well, I want to read you something. Uh, oh. If I may. I got a, a note from David to read to you. You did? Yes, Uh, he said, Nancy could not have been a more perfect host. Uh, Well, I'm going to go back. I just accessed your message. Terrific to honor Nancy. I am disappointed that not only is my laptop busted, not that I know how to use it anyway, (laughs) but my family of children and grandchildren have arrived over the weekend for a long planned visit to be with Gramps Dave. We are overwhelmed with households of big and little people doing overdue fam celebrations, so cannot do video with you tomorrow. That said, perhaps maybe you could somehow incorporate the following into your program with Nancy. Nancy could not have been a more perfect first co-host of GMA. Those days were challenging for all of us to try to create a new morning news and information program with all of us learning new skills daily. Nancy was and is one of the most talented leading ladies of Broadway, super singer and actress who transferred her talents, warmth, charm and unpretentiousness to our joint efforts. She was a wonderful partner and her uh, personal self was a delight for morning television. She and I had been acquainted more than a decade earlier when she was already a Broadway star as I was looking for work. i was very disappointed when the network replaced her in her co-host spot as i recall less than a year into our start in november 1975. naturally she continued on in her wonderful work in theater and tv the fabulous professional, so disciplined and talented please give her my warmest regards and huge hugs along with my huge disappointment that i cannot share this time with her live online And best to you, Richard, and everyone for always honoring Nancy Duzo. Today, uh, David Hartman.
2: Oh, wow. Yes. Well, that is really lovely. Yes. Can you send me a copy of that?
1: I'll send you a copy (laughs) of it, yes. But he wanted to be here tonight, and I got that this morning, and he was so disappointed that he couldn't be here.
2: You know, Um, I wish uh, we had copies. I mean, it really, he's right. It was an onslaught of trying to figure everything out doing that show. And I think I was hired within, it was within two weeks of starting. I kept getting phone calls from some guy. And finally I returned the call. I didn't answer right away because I thought he was gonna ask me to do another benefit. But it was calling from ABC to see if I'd be interested in doing this show. So I did come in and because I knew David already, I'm sure that was so helpful And getting the job. So he, he interviewed me. I talked to him. They had me do commercials. They had me try, you know, all kinds of things. And I was hired and they had a very uh, small staff at the beginning. They tried to start live right away, but really they just couldn't finesse it. Uh, So we, you know, boom, we're on the air. I mean, I, and there were, (laughs) there were days when even David and I would do a commercial together where we started laughing so hard we couldn't, they just cut. Yeah. We couldn't finish. Uh, and then they had me do the weather a couple of times because the weatherman from Chicago was in negotiations with his contract. Well, I had no setup whatsoever for doing <laughs> the weather. So I had the information, of course, on the prompter. And I mean, that turned into a comedy routine. Which the head of ABC loved because that's why he wanted me on the show. Uh, in South Dakota, you know, and I'd be like, At wherever.
1: South- I, I've done it. I, you know, it's the hardest thing in the world. Oh, uh, to yes. Be on that green screen, I was doing something and I went, it's 69 degrees in Poughkeepsie. And Perch, yes. we who was the weather girl, came and moved my hand. And I said, They moved Poughkeepsie? <laughs> <laughs>
2: And then they came up one morning, you know, this is five in the morning or whatever. Uh, c- can you write all the uh, showbiz stuff? And I went, I don't write. You know, I, I, he said, well, yeah, 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 you will. Here's a typewriter. And they gave me some information. And so, you know, I madly try I mean, it was crazy. And I, the thing was, and this is a huge lesson that I learned at that time, but a little too late Uh, I kept thinking I could figure it all out by myself. I think only twice did I go to the producer and complain because they literally would do this. They'd go, go interview them. About what? (laughs) No producer with me. Nobody, just a cameraman and me. So some couple of times when they edited the pieces together, I went, Jesus, that's so boring. I talked to the man for four hours. Uh, You know, and someone said, "Well, you go to editing, don't you?" And I went, "No, I really, I and I didn't have a lot of time to do that because they sent me out a lot." Um,
1: What time did you have to be in the studio each day? Five. Wow.
2: Or five thirty. You know, the show went on live at seven. I probably got. I got probably got there at five thirty.
1: Complete opposite of the theater world uh, life. Oh, it
2: was so hard. But what my point about this was. I could have asked anybody for help. I mean, Barbara Walters was on the show every now and then I could have, and she was darling to me. I could have called her at any time and said, Jesus, help me out here. I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) Uh, I knew I had the right attitude in the show. And I, you know, I really did do my homework. (laughs) And interestingly enough, because I lived in New York, I was a little more hip to everything than David was. But David had a huge advantage and he did something i should have his wife had been a producer and stuff in television so every single day for a while after the show he called her and they went through the entire show i was afraid to look at it i thought i would be such a critic of every move i made that it would hamper me but that was a mistake you know and i i could have gotten more help and been better
1: like no, so after. you're saying that he went and watched the the, the show after it was already uh, yes and everything? I don't know if they
2: went through the whole two hours, but I know he was in there doing that. You know, and we, uh, years later, when I went back just to visit all my chums in the office, you know, somebody was saying, oh, David, he's gotten, s- he's such a smart ass now and he has his own research person. And I went, good heavens, what's the matter with that? Because I never got enough research because we didn't have enough writers. You know, so, uh, but it was a telling experience. I mean, gosh, the people I met and people that I didn't think I liked, (laughs) you know, that a lot of people I had to interview, I, I, it really helped me not prejudge people because some people, you know, that I really thought, oh, I never liked him. I don't respect him. I don't, you know, they come in. Hi, Nancy, how are you? And blah, blah, blah. And I go, well, he's not that bad, (laughs) you know? But I did. I just got to meet everybody. Uh, And this made me love David. One morning, Carl Sagan was the guest. And uh, he was so big at that time. And he had a show. And David asked him a technical kind of question about space and everything. And I I was standing right behind the camera that was on David because I really wanted to hear everything. I, I was a big Carl fan. And he gave his answer. And there was a silence. And David said... Uh, I'm going to ask you the question all over again. I didn't understand one thing you said, which I really applauded David for doing that. And Carl Sagan laughed. He went, okay, let's do this again. Let me see if I can, you know, be more clear. And off they off they went. But, uh, you know, we got criticized because we were not news people, but it was not under the news division. No, that, no. no. It was under it was under under entertainment, and we both worked real hard, you know. Uh, but the hours, like you commented on. If friends invited me to dinner, I said it has to be at five thirty or six. And I, and and there was especially one couple that I that I knew quite well that I would go to their their house the most often, and I almost always fell asleep about seven seven thirty. Uh, I just couldn't. It was so hard on my body and my psyche. And when the show sent me to see Michelle Baryshnikov at Lincoln Center and I was so thrilled that I got a ticket <laughs> and I got in and I kept, and I started to cry. I mean, I just thought, oh my God, I'm seeing one of the greatest dancers in the world and I can barely stay awake. Uh, and I wasn't there long enough. I was there two years to to really get into the swing of the hours because like you said, My life was so different, so different, but it was a great time for me.
1: Well, with everything that happens in a career, there are, uh, you get into a routine and if there was any particular moment in your career that if you could go back for a day and relive it, is there any particular moment that you would just love to go back just once more and relive again?
2: Golly. That's quite a question. <laughs> um, I don't think so. I, I, don't, I, I really, I, it would take me a day or two to think about that. Mm-hmm. Isn't that funny? I think it's one of the most fun times in the business I ever had was, when I really think about it all, was opening night of uh, Dory Me. Phil Silver's was so great to me <laughs> he taught me so much and my opening number you know he he was the guy who discovered me at a coffee shop or donut shop whatever it was and he was so sweet and I, he he would pull a chair around and uh, it was right on the lip downstage and he turned the so his back was to the audience looking at me on opening night and he just gave me such a smile and a wink and he let him have it, kid He let him have it you know, he was that kind of generous with me. And you know, the place went crazy. I mean, it was that was such an introduction to Broadway and the business. Because it had it had like seven, I'd have to count again. I'm gonna say seven of the best character actors in the business in the business, in the business. And that was a real learning lesson for me because I would watch these guys who only had a few scenes. Go off and perfect every moment word movement of their bits on stage. Uh, I thought, oh, wow, you know, look at that. Look at it. Because I just kind of always did it. I always just kind of did it. I mean, I learned what they wanted me to learn and staging and everything. But I think I really totally relied more on instinct and. You know, years later, I worked with Alfred Drake. We were doing a new musical together, and they said he needs an always an hour early before we all start our rehearsal because he was the same way. Every word, every note, every everything.
1: <coughs> Are you all right? Do you have your okay? nearby? I, I swallowed air. Uh oh! I got excited about Phil Silvers. Sorry, keep I, going. I'm sorry. I just
2: I just loved him. I was, and he was crazy. He and Julie Stein. Uh, were so funny because they were they gambled they were big gamblers <laughs> i'd see julie running backstage every night going to phil's dressing room and then blabbing away i mean it was it was such a scene <laughs> with all the people and the john kennedy was coming one night and i looked out one because i was so far downstage singing you know ingrid bergman was sitting there and i mean it but i thought that was normal until the years went on, I went, no, none of that was normal. This was an exceptional situation because people <laughs> really loved, really loved Phil. He knew everybody. I mean, everybody came, you know, so it, uh it really was a revelation to me.
1: Well, I want to mention some names and I just want the first thing that pops into your head when I mention their names, uh, Pat Carroll. Loved her. I just loved her so much. And uh, uh, Audrey Meadows.
2: I liked Audrey. You know, at first, that was a kind of woman in the way she, her life and all dolled up and unfortunately smoking all the time. Uh, But she was on enough that I got to know her better. And I really loved her because she and Pat, both of them as women and people, as a person, were very straightforward and honest and what they liked, didn't like and how they worked. And uh, she was okay. Pat I loved. She was just... This really down-to-earth, hearty, honest. And in all her performing, she was, it was all right there. And I I loved
1: it. Too Close for Comfort, this incredible ensemble. That's what I love so much about these uh, shows that have such an ensemble cast. Do you go back and ever watch these episodes? They're on still. I still watch. I
2: don't, I I don't we don't get any of those channels where it's on all the time, but I, I have most of them and I still see Jimmy Bullock and Lydia and Deborah. I mean, we're still together, which I think is quite remarkable. I mean, there have been periods of time and, and, and Jim Bullock in, in particular, because I was so crazy about him uh, where I would just pursue him as a friend you're not getting out of my life. You know, I I really care about you. And, uh, and Deborah was up here a couple of months ago, you know, so, and uh, Lydia called kind of out of the blue and she and her partner came, you know, we all met for lunch and stuff. So it's, it's good. And it's been so interesting to see how they've all, how we all have changed and adapted and, you know, gotten on with our lives.
1: Someone else who wanted to be here tonight, but unfortunately was not able to be here, here, Car- is Karen Morrow. So, <laughs> yes. So, it, I mean, what a great long friendship the two of you have had.
2: Oh, I know. I know. And that, that was, again, I don't know what the results would have been. But, you know, when we did our concerts together and appearances together, it was a very unique thing. Two women had never done this. And I don't, I don't know what all she told you about it. Uh, we would put together these evenings so fast. We'd get together with a bottle of champagne and the big yellow pads of paper <laughs> and you know, get our act down. And did she ever tell you how we found our pianist? Did she ever tell you that story? No, no. We were in Joe Allen's, we had lunch and we were talking about it and we had a concert in a week and we didn't have a pianist. And uh, my friend Sheila Ray said, well, there's a wonderful guy I've heard of named Bill Schneider. And he lives somewhere near Joe Allen's. He's on that street. So this was like three in the afternoon. We'd been sitting there a long time. I said to Karen, I'm going outside. And there was hardly any traffic. I went outside, stood in the middle of the street and yelled his name. And then Karen, <laughs> and then Karen came out and yelled his name. And from the fourth floor, fifth floor, a window opened. And this guy with the long hair that kept falling out the window,
1: yes? Rapunzel, Rapunzel.
2: <laughs> so we screamed out all our credits <laughs> and told him, you know, he said, I don't really do the show tunes. He said, oh, come on up. And we had some of our music with us. So we went on up and he was, he said, I don't know this song. It was Sound of Music or something as he's playing like a maniac. So he said, sure, I'll do it. And then he said, by the way, would you like a cello player? My friend here is uh, leaving to go to Europe. He said. So we said, yeah, bring the cello player. And we had a ball. He was, and still is, fantastic, fantastic. So we did two of those evenings at Town Hall. And then we came out here and did our act. And then we were hired by CBS Cable to do some shows. And our both of us had managers at the time. And I went, isn't this cute? Not one of them thought, hmm. Maybe we should call Columbia and book them, <laughs> book them places <laughs> like the Calloways or something. I mean, it was, and when well, we sang not- here in L.A., I, I can't tell you who came. Everybody came. Big movie stars and stuff. I mean, it was, we were really having a good time. <laughs> well,
1: Nancy, you and Karen should come to New York and do 54 Below one night and the place will be packed. With a line all the way to Joe. Probably
2: would. I mean, when when we listened and I listened to some of our singing at that time, I went, "Oh my God!" Because we were both in primo voice. We were at the, it was, we couldn't have been singing better, all, both of us. Voice is so big and full and beautiful. I mean, Karen. They always say that the belter, but Karen, Karen's belt voice, if you want to call it that, is has always been a beautiful sound. It hasn't been that, ah, which everybody sounds like, everyone kind of sounds alike to me now. Uh, Both of our voices I thought were very unique and beautiful, really beautiful. And we just, we had a ball and we were very creative. And uh, I don't know if we would ever do it again. My voice ain't so hot right now and (laughs) she doesn't want to sing anymore. She doesn't want to get dressed later at night.
1: (laughs) It's but wish. you're right. I think if we did, Nancy, I could go on forever uh, with you, but me I want to take your time. I'm crazy yet. about you. Uh, thank you so much for doing this with me today, oh, I, I and for loved everyone it. Who's watching. I'm going to give my closing remarks, and then I'm going to let you give your closing remarks, and we're going to close with uh, two clips that I pulled. So, uh, first of all, I want to thank. Uh, and when you speak, it could be about anything that we spoke about that you want to build upon. Uh, anything that we didn't speak about that you wish we had, or just any final uh, message that you want to leave everyone with, and when you say goodbye, uh, yeah, my hu-
2: my husband's just arriving.
1: That's uh, uh, fine. Okay. We're gonna get there quickly. But I want to thank. Bring uh, on camera. On one second. Come here. Come here. I
2: won't be able to stop him. So no, bring him on camera. Come here.
1: Wait. You're
2: gonna be on camera. Come here hey 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 i can't get him, <laughs> <can't
1: get> him. <laughs> Now he's camera shy but...
2: no he uh, he sees val he's that's going crazy fine.
1: that's fine my dog does the same thing um i want to thank everybody for being here today uh i know that i can speak for nancy when i say this when you spend an hour or more with us we do not take it lightly so thank you for all being here today. I hope you enjoyed today's show. And please, I mean, there are clips on YouTube. There's so much out there. Go and enjoy it. I found a phenomenal uh, episode of Hugh uh, with Carol Burnett and Dick Van Dyke on The Carol Burnett Show this oh. afternoon. And I, it was so much fun to watch it. Have you seen it? No. I'll send it to you. Uh, <laughs> okay. Anyway, everyone, uh, I always end every show. By telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return, pick up the phone, Nancy. I want you to do the same thing. Pick up the phone and call someone you have not spoken okay. to in a long time. I not mean. an email message, not a text message. No, no, I'm not. An I... inbox message, a phone call, and let that person know how they've made a difference in your life. And trust me, you'll make a difference in their life. I have a dear friend. He says we're all in the same storm, but we're in different sized boats. And I always say, I don't care what size boat you're on, as long as you have a skipper by your side. And with that, Nancy, I'm turning it over to you. And thanks everyone for being here.
2: This has been an absolute joy to be with you, Richard. And you asked some wonderful, really thoughtful questions that made me able to think about my journey in the business and in my life and what did make a difference and what didn't make a difference. And I'll kind of close with when I talked about, if you need help, ask for help. When I first started doing my act, I started asking people for help. I needed advice. I wanted a special song. Billy Barnes wrote me a special song. I just needed, I needed help. Uh, So I have been trying to do that with people I've met in the business and offering whatever advice I can and help I can in the business or not, uh, as Richard said, be good to somebody, everybody. Call somebody, tell them how wonderful they are, how special they are. This has been a joy, Richard. I'm, I, let's do it again. Can we do it again? I hope so. Bye-bye.
1: Now Nancy Bissot, Sound of Music and her Sound of Music youngsters open this section with the delightful Do-Re-Mi.
0: Start at
3: the very beginning A very good place to start When you read, you begin with When you sing, you begin with do re Me. do re Me, do re Me. The first three notes just happen to be Do-Re-Mi Do-Re-Mi
0: Do-Re-Mi-Bazzo Oh, come. I'll make it easier for you. Listen. Doe, a deer, a female
3: deer. Ray, a drop of golden sun. Me, a name I call myself. Far, a long, long way to run. So, a needle pulling thread. Tea, a drink with German bread That will bring us back